Esther chapter 3 and verse 13. Uh, this is one of the most powerful stories throughout the scripture, and I'm excited to share about the fierce faith inside this uh, beautiful uh, um, teenage girl named Esther. And Esther, uh, to give you a little background, uh, she was an orphan when she was uh, very young. Uh, both of her parents were killed. She um, was part of the uh, Jewish people who were attacked and destroyed, and she was taken uh, into exile into uh, Persia, this foreign land. And uh, when she was orphaned, as her parents were killed during this battle, um, she was adopted by her cousin Mordecai. Uh, Mordecai was a, a great man of God, had a great character. Uh, in fact, we read in the story that Mordecai, uh, when he was in this foreign land, he discovered a plot that uh, people were coming up with to assassinate King Xerxes. And Mordecai, uh, with faith and courage, went and foiled this plot and was able to, to save the king uh, for this. He wasn't recognized for it, but it was just in his DNA. And, and Mordecai chose to adopt Esther uh, when she was just a, a young girl orphaned uh, by her two parents. And uh, we read this story in Esther chapter 13 as uh, they're in this foreign land and there's this evil man by the name of Haman. And uh, Haman, you, you're going to need to remember that name because uh, he's a, a, a form of evil in this story. And Haman was the second most powerful man in all of Persia, uh, aside from King Xerxes. And uh, Haman uh, had this plot that he uh, put together to annihilate all of the Jewish people, to commit genocide against them. Why would he do that? Uh, because he was offended. Haman was offended at Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow down to him and show him honor. Uh, because Mordecai would only bow down to the one true God. It's amazing what one offense can, once it gets in you, can cause you to do dumb things. And it, it caused Haman to uh, want to wipe out the entire Jewish race. And Haman, because he was so powerful, he was able to manipulate his way into getting the king to sign a decree to wipe out all of the Jews uh, that were living in Persia at the time. And uh, that's where we pick it up. Verse 13 says, Dispatches were sent by countries to all the king's province with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, to plunder their goods. And a copy of the text, the edict was issued as law in every province to make known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. Verse 1, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was greatly distressed. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of a sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend to her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Mordecai told them everything that had happened, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for the annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and people of the royal province know 
that for any man or woman who would approach the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king, there is one law. They would be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter. But there has been 30 days that have passed since I was called to go to the king's presence. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back his answer. Hey, Esther, don't think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family will surely perish. And who knows, but that you have come to this royal position as queen of Persia for such a time as this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Father, I pray that you will help this message to come through me, Lord, in a way that could communicate a message that can change the course of somebody's life this morning. That this message might not change everything that's happening around us, but through our faith, it could change what is happening within us. It could shift our perspective. And I pray, Lord, that you'll use this message to ignite fierce faith within everyone here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. In one moment, everything can change. In one moment, the course that you thought your life was going on, because of one email, one text message, one moment, it could completely redirect the life that you thought you were on. Uh, it, I'm so thankful that today I am, and Diamond is, we are celebrating our 12-year wedding anniversary this morning. Uh, it was February 2nd, 2008, when uh, we, we got married in Los Angeles at the LA Dream Center. I was 23 years old. Diamond was 21 years old. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. We barely even knew each other. We were just like on the phone talking long distance, but we were in love. We were in love. We were in love. And we were like, let's get married. And, and, uh, but you don't even know like uh, what, what your job's going to be. You don't even know how you're going to figure this out. That's all right. Love solves all problems. Young and stupid. And so we, we, we got married, and, and man, that was like the beginning of uh, a redirection of my life. You know, I, I thought at that point life was all about me and what I wanted to do, and then I realized after you get married that uh, uh, you're going to have to make some sacrifices, some changes. And uh, Diamond was shocked after we got married. I asked her before we went up, we, we are back uh, kind of praying and talking before service, and I said, what was it, was it that shocked you the most when we got married? 12 years ago, Diamond said this. She said, I, I was so shocked because I thought that after we got married that it was going to be full of, this is her words, foot massages, chocolates, and romantic dinners. I was like, you watch way too many Hallmark like, movies, honey. That because that was the furthest thing from reality for us. We, we got home, and, and it, was, it was at night, and, and I wasn't giving foot massages. I was playing Madden 2007, you know, dominating with, like, Peyton Manning. And, you know, and, and she's like, this is not what I signed up for. You know, bathroom was smelling terrible. And I'm like, like, what is this? And, and for me, uh, the thing that scared me the most, like, I grew up uh, in a very non-confrontational home. Uh, Diamond grew up in a very adversarial, confrontational home where the only way you get your point across was not just screaming, but clapping your hands while you scream. I'm talking to you! I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, she claps her hands while she yells at me. You know? 
I don't know if you grew up in one of those households as well. And so I was like in the corner in the fetal position, like having to sleep with like one eye open, like, is this woman going to kill me? I'm going to be in like 48-hour mystery, you know, CBS. Uh, you know, and, <laughs> and it took us literally six years to figure out how to be married. Like, like, we're, like, finally, after six years, we're like, all right, we got this. Uh, and then all of a sudden, another redirection, we find out we're pregnant. We're not we. She's pregnant. I got her pregnant. I was responsible for that for sure. And, and so uh, all this, oh, my God, what do we do now? We're going to have a baby. We, we're still living in my parents' basement. How are we going to make this happen? Everything that we thought was changing. And then, you know, you throw Judah in there, a little baby. And then right after Judah, Irish twin Lily comes. And, and now we got two babies, and we're doing more diaper changes than we are doing anything else in the bedroom. And, and so all of a sudden, like, our whole life was, was radically changing. And then finally, after six years, we thought we had that figured out. We thought we knew how to raise these two little crazy humans. And they're out of diapers, and they're, they're off to school. They could finally dress themselves. And then, faithful day, find out numero tres is coming into the world. Little baby Dewey. And now we're back into the diapers. We're doing the whole thing over again. And, and then starting this year, had all these exciting things we were ready to do this year. Uh, and then, uh, you know, January 3rd, find out number four is coming. And everything that we had planned for, re- now we got to renovate the house, like craziness. Uh, and, and so we got to figure this whole thing out again. Anyone ever uh, all of a sudden have to rip up your plan? Because of an email, a text message, something that just totally shifted the course of your life. And I'm talking to you about some like really exciting things that I went through in my life. But, uh, you know, I have some very debilitating things that uh, happened in my life that have shaped the journey that I never expected. I'll never forget it was 10 years to this day. Uh, how will I not forget it? Because it was on our wedding anniversary in 2010. Uh, when uh, the building that I grew up in, the, the church that building that I was a part of growing up, uh, we had to be evicted from on February 2nd, 2010, a place that my father and mother poured their blood, sweat, and tears into. And, and in that moment, what we had believed was going to happen, God took us on a different direction. I remember it was April 18th, and a lot of you, you, you can remember these days too. You know, I remember it was April 18th, 2016, when I come home and, and they're giving my father CPR and we're downstairs praying for a miracle and we didn't have the miracle happen the way that we thought. And in one moment, everything we had planned for, all the plans that we made were suddenly completely annihilated. Uh, I'll never forget uh, one of my best friends came up to me after service, had an amazing service, and then right after, comes up, he's in tears and tells me that uh, the, his wife that he's had for numerous years is, is leaving him, and she showed up that week and wanted a divorce and walked out of his life, and now he's devastated. And I'll never forget that, that moment when he told me that. And you have those moments in your life, those life-shaping crisis that come up in an instant, it's one email, it's one text message, it's one conversation uh, that suddenly changed the course of your entire life. And that is exactly what took place in this scripture with Esther. Esther is the queen of Persia, and she's finally arrived. 
and now she gets noticed that not only her, but her entire family, her entire ethnicity is going to be completely wiped out by the man that she's sleeping in bed with at night, King Xerxes. And Esther is an amazing woman of faith. Esther knows what it's like to have fierce faith. She rised up to be the queen of all of Persia, but it didn't start off that way for Esther. She started off as an orphan girl. Esther, when she was young, both of her parents were killed. She grew up in dysfunction. She grew up in a struggle. She grew up with very little potential of her to ever make something of herself in the eyes of most other people. But yet her fierce faith took her to become queen of Persia. And I want you to know, no matter what you have grown up in, I want to say your environment is not an excuse for why you can't succeed. How do I know that? I look at the story of Esther. Grew up an orphan, but yet she arrived to be the queen of all of Persia. And I want you to know that there are some people in this room that had a worse upbringing than you did, and yet they became a doctor. There's people out there that had less love in their family than you did, and yet they're a loving father, they're a loving mother. There are some people who had less culture in their upbringing than you, and now they're succeeding in business in a, in a way that it blows everybody's mind because they never allowed their environment to be an excuse for why they couldn't succeed. There was a, 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 an African-American woman in, in our church, and, and I was reaching out to some people in the church to find out the best way that we could honor others during Black History Month. And uh, got to hear a little bit of her story. And it's one of the most inspirational stories I ever heard. This is a, a woman uh, grew up in Harlem and literally had to fight every single day of her life. Had to fight off people on the way to school. Had, had to fight off se severe depression that she dealt with. Had to fight off abuse. Had to fight off uh, nobody believing in her. And yet that woman today is probably the most successful businesswoman that I know. An incredibly loving mother. An incredible wife. Because she never allowed her environment to be an excuse for why she couldn't succeed. And I want to say that to somebody. You need to let that excuse go. It happened. It was wrong. It was bad. But that doesn't define you. What will define you is how you respond to the struggles of your past. And if you respond correctly, God can raise you up and God can use you. And so here's Queen Esther. She's, she's an orphan girl, but she has this gifting. Guess what her gifting was? Guess what her superpower was? She was hot. She's an extremely attractive girl. And, and so uh, when she was uh, about 17, 18 years old, uh, the king was in the market for a wife, King Xerxes. King Xerxes uh, was looking for a, a wife. Guess what kind of wife he wanted? You think he wanted a, a wife that could do arithmetic? Maybe, maybe a wife that uh, uh, knew the, the geographical location of all of the islands of Indonesia. Whatever that means. You know, uh, no, he wanted a wife that he could show off as his trophy wife. This guy, uh, King Xerxes, he was carnal. He, he was uh, um, all about power. He was all about accumulation. He was all about image. And so he sends out a decree to all of Persia and all the states that I'm looking for 100 women to be able to do a beauty pageant that I'm going to choose my next wife from. And so Esther, she gets chosen, 17 years old, to be part of this beauty pageant. And she gets chosen, and she has one opportunity to impress this king. 
and they, they start to prepare her for this moment. Anybody ever uh, spent more than an hour getting ready for a date? <laughs> See a few guys raising their hands. <laughs> um, I mean, let me throw anyone ever spend over two hours getting ready for a wedding? Two hours for a wedding? Anybody? Yeah. Easy, easy. Five hours for a wedding? Um, you know, a, a lot. You know, a lot of preparation to, to look good, right? Uh, guess how long Esther got ready for her night with the king? 24 months, people. 24 months. She had 12 months of beauty and spa treatments. She had six months of, like, lavender and oil baths. And then she had another six months of, like, culture lessons, like how to sip tea at the king's table. All for one moment. Talk about pressure. Talk about, I mean, all that. Two years for one moment. But a lot of times preparation will produce something for that moment in you. And she spent two years for that one moment. And then King Xerxes sees Queen Esther. You know, I wonder what she was wearing. Probably not a lot. <laughs> I think it's hysterical. You, you know, you, you watch the show. She's like fully, you know, I'm like, it, probably not like that. But anyways, nevertheless, um, he, he sees Esther and says, there she is. She's got that look. That, that, that is the next queen of Persia. Come here, baby. And, and, and King Xerxes uh, gives her a hug and, and all of a sudden puts a, a crown on her head and puts a, a coat around her. And she became queen because of one thing, how she looked on the outside. Because in this culture, who you are is based off of how you look. And not much has changed since then. When I say how you look, I'm not just talking about your, your skin and what you look like in a mirror, but who you are is how you look on your resume. Who you are is how you look on your record. Who you are is based off of the talent that you have. Who you are is based off of whether you're a good communicator, whether you're a good teacher, whether you're a good salesperson, whether or not uh, you're, you're, you're a good police officer, whether or not you're a good communicator, or whether or not you can heal people through medicine. That is who you are, and, and that is what is going to open up doors for you. And as you look at the story of Esther, the only reason she was able to become queen of Persia on the outside is because she had what is it? You know what it is. She had that look. And so that opened up the door for her. So let me ask you this question. Do you treat other people differently based on how they look? No. Say no. If you don't say no, people are going to look at you really weird. And we got, we got a pretty diverse, loving church, but they're fighters and they will jack you up. No, no, of course not. Let me ask you a different question because I think I'll get a different answer with this. Do you treat yourself differently based on how you look? Yeah, we do, don't we? Because when we're doing good, we're killing it in sales and we're, we're killing it in business and, 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 and we're just killing it, you know, looking good, feeling good. All of a sudden, man, I'm feeling good about myself. But then in one moment of failure, in one moment where crisis comes, all of a sudden you start being your own worst enemy and you start treating yourself differently and worse because of what is happening on the outside of you. And a lot of times we could be our own worst enemies. And that's the reason why so many people, I, I think, are just emotionally bankrupt and, and struggling so much on the 
inside with insecurities is because you treat yourself differently based on how you perceive yourself to look. And the devil is a liar. And that is what is happening with Esther because Esther could say, hey, life is all about, in the words of Derek Zoolander, being ridy, 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 ridiculously good looking. That's what life is all about. I mean, we could say the same thing. Life is all about being really, really, really ridiculously successful. I don't know why I sound like Donald Trump when I say that, but I'm trying not to. But it's, you know, that life is all about being really, really, really ridiculously successful. About how, how I'm perceived. That's what life is all about. Because that's what everybody sees. That's what everybody praises. That's what everybody awards. That's what lifts me up on a, on, on a social totem pole. That's what opens up doors for me is, is how good I perform. And so I put such an emphasis on how good I perform. But the reason why Esther became the queen was not because of anything on the outside. It was because of what God put inside of her. It was because she was chosen by God for that time. And there are four characteristics I want to give you that produce fierce faith in every, inside every single one of us. The first one is fierce faith is found within you. Your outward appearance may open a door for you, but your character will tell you why that door opened for you. Do you spend as much time developing your character as you do putting on makeup in the morning? A BT dub makeup is not a bad thing. Do I hear an amen? Deodorant is not a bad thing. Like for, for me, I, I prefer, ladies, you have the best deodorant. I, I prefer secret for women. That's like my deodorant of choice. It's phenomenal. Um, so me and Diamond, we share deodorant. You know, tell her how she feels about that. Um, it's yours is mine and what mine is yours. <laughs> But it's a good thing. We talked about this last Sunday. Like, you need to take care of your temple. It's good to, 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 to dress nice and to shower. Amen for showers, for perfume, to take care of yourself, you know, go to the gym, eat right. That's good. But never get it twisted that how you look on the outside is what defines you. Because so often we can get so caught up in this is what defines me. And the only times I ever feel good about myself is based off of how I look and and, and, and so often that's what the world uh, will try and teach us. I, I read Cosmo magazine uh, this week. I, I seriously, I seriously did. Uh, it was painful, but I did it. Uh, and I, I found this, this one. <laughs> Is that like the women? That's the most popular women's magazine, right? Okay, so I did good. Say so you did good, Pastor. Okay. I found this, this, this quote. I thought this was interesting. Uh, it said, uh, um, and I quote, premature aging. Don't let it happen to you. It is every woman's nightmare come true. What are women more afraid of? A burglar at night. Maybe not having enough uh, uh, money at the end of the month. Uh, the boogeyman, Freddy Cougar. No, premature aging. Ah, it's coming for me. And then you worry and then you get another wrinkle. It's like a double negative. You can't worry about getting old, but you're getting old, and I can't help it, so I worry about it, and then I get wrinkled, and I look more old. Do you realize we spent $85 billion last year on beauty supplies that will help you not age? I hate to tell you, but you're getting older, 
every single day. And if you think you're 50 years old and you're supposed to look like you're 20 years old, you're not supposed to look like you're 20 years old. You just look weird. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. I'm trying to help somebody. You, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just part of life. Things are going to droop. Things are going to sag. It's just part of this body that we're in. Wrinkles are going to pop. You can't stop it. But what happens is we get so consumed by, I got to look younger. Am I getting older? Am I getting older? And then you, you are so consumed by how you look that you never develop who you are on the inside. And you wonder why you're so insecure, holding on to what everybody says about you. It's because you don't even love yourself. God is not concerned with what you look like on the outside nearly as much as what is happening within you. 1 Samuel chapter 16 says this, as Samuel is going to anoint the next king of Israel, and all these beautiful, handsome men are, are there, all these sons, and they're, they're tall, dark, and handsome, and they're talented, and they're intelligent, and, and, and the, the prophet says, surely that must be the one. But he hears the voice of God saying, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. Are there any other sons that you have, Jesse? And he had one more son. He was the, 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 the run of the litter. He wasn't even at the, own, the celebration. It was little David. And the father says, yeah, I have one more, but he's just a shepherd boy. How many times do you say that about yourself? I'm just a, I'm just a mom. I'm just a teacher. I'm, 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 I'm just a, a parent. I'm, 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 I'm just a, a, a middle class person. I'm, I'm just a, no, you are not just a, you are more than. Words matter. Change your vocabulary. Stop saying I'm just a and start saying I am more than. I am more than my past. I am more than what other people say about me. I am more than what I even think about myself. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and my Father in heaven looks down at me, and he sees me with eyes of grace and love, and he believes in me in a way that I don't even believe in myself. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. You are not how you look. And when Samuel saw David... He said, there he is, because what man rejects, God accepts. Fierce faith, number two, is teachable. Fierce faith is teachable. It says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, she said, I, I can't go see the king. He might kill me. You don't want me to die, do you? I can't do this. Mordecai says, do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape, Esther. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, maybe you've come to this place as queen for such a time as this. Man, that's a bold thing to say. Because Esther has a good excuse why she's not going to the king. I might get decapitated. And most of us in that moment we would say, I understand, Craig. I understand. I, w I don't want to put you through that. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable or anything. You know? But I found that the people who love you the most are the people who will challenge you the most. Iron sharpens iron. And what I love about Mordecai is he doesn't just let Esther get away with not doing what she was created to do. 
and he challenges her comfort, challenges her, her comfort in the palace saying, you're not in the palace because you, you are a talented person or because you're so beautiful or, or because you made this happen for yourself. The reason you are the queen of Persia is because God put you there. And if Mordecai was here, he'd say to you, the reason why you're successful, the reason why you have that job, the reason why you have that family, the reason why you have success and you have the ability to sell, or you have the ability to, to, to process data, or you have the ability to communicate is not so you could develop success and you could ride off into the sunset and you could have comfort the rest of your life. No, the reason God gave you those things is for a time such as this, for a crisis that you could use what God has given you so that the glory of God can shine. And it may cost you some things. It may risk some things in your life. And Esther, I'm sure, was thinking, because, I mean, if you grew up with nothing, I mean, if you grew up with no, I mean, she was an orphan. She didn't have much growing up. She had the scratch and claw for what she had. She was in exile. She was a slave girl. And now, She's the most powerful woman in all of Persia. She, gets, she has servants. She has money. She's got a Bentley chariot. She's got it all. And now she has someone who has the audacity to get her to try and risk everything that she has for God. Because she's the only one. And what I love about Esther is she didn't say, why me? Why now? She said, no, I am the one. This is the time, and this is the place. Be teachable. Embrace correction. Don't just walk around for somebody to agree with you. I want you to get freaked out when everybody agrees with you. Just get freaked out until you find someone that sees it from a different perspective. Because if all you ever look for is people to agree with the decisions that you're making, all you are doing is, is bringing comfort to your crisis. All you are doing is, is perpetuate or, or just allowing yourself to stay stuck because you're not allowing anyone to confront you. And BT Dub, don't put the God card on what you want to do, sir, ma'am. Can I just like go off on a second, like pet peeve of mine? Like just because you say God told me to doesn't mean God actually told you to. You're just trying to get everybody off your back so you could do what you want to do. You know, God told me to. God told me to, 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 to go to the boardwalk and, 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 and just walk around until I see someone with blonde hair and glasses and, and I'm supposed to go up to them and ask them what kind of coffee they want. No, you just are looking for a cute guy with blonde hair and I invite him for a coffee. <laughs> Don't throw the God card on what you want to do. See, God will always speak to you and he'll confirm it through his word and his people. So when you have other godly people, they'll confirm what God spoke, and his word will confirm what he spoke in your life. And then you have, can have the confidence to walk it out. Number four, are you with me? Are there any fierce women in the church this morning? All right, all right, all right. I see you, I see you. Any beautiful women in the church today? You guys are more excited about your, your beauty than your fierce faith, but that's another, we're going to change that by the end of this sermon. You just fell for the oldest trick in the book. Number three, fierce faith knows its place. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. 
My mom put something awesome on Facebook this week. Uh, it inspired me for this point. You put this thing of an axe and a razor blade. And it, it, it said that a razor blade is sharp, but it can't cut down a tree. An axe is strong, but it can't cut hair. Embrace what you were created to be. And I love that because so many of us, and, and I could be one of the biggest culprits of this, we could get so frustrated because we're not producing something that God never called us to produce. Like there are some things in your life that you're not created to do. You're not supposed to do. Be okay with that. Be okay with who God created you to be. Be okay with, I'm, I'm not going to be the, the, the skinniest person in the world. I'm okay with that. I am who I am. God made me this way. Be okay with, I, I'm, I'm called to be a teacher. Maybe I'm not called to be a multimillionaire, but you know what? I'm thankful for what God created me to be. If you're always trying to be something you're not, you will never be happy. The happiest you will ever be is when you finally embrace who God created you to be. And you'll stop looking at other people trying to compare and trying to be who they are. I, I, I was set free in my marriage with this. You know, I, when we first got married, um, I, I, and I, I still am. I've had no improvement in this area whatsoever. Um, I, uh, I'm not a handyman. We've, we bought our first house in 2015. And Diamond always makes fun of me about this. Because when, when we bought our first house, I bought like $1,000 worth of tools. And I was like, you're going again to Home Depot? I'm like, yeah, I'm a man. I'm going to Home Depot. Then I get some drill bits, some molly balls, some, you know, socket wrench. Like, I'm, I'm a man. Men go to Home Depot. And I got all these tools in my garage. And then something breaks. Diamond's like, you got all those tools. Go fix it. I'm like, I have no idea what to do with any of these tools. And so she made, she's like, you wasted all this money. We could have gone, we could have gone to Cancun. Our Cancun vacation is sitting in our garage, never getting used. And then I realized I was set free because that's not who God created me to be. I'm not Tim the tool man Taylor. That's just not who I am. I'm just not like the manly guy in Home Depot that goes in aisle 14 and gets like four two-by-fours and makes like a shed for his kids, a treehouse. I, I, I have to just be okay with that. And I realize that, that, yes, that's not who I am, but I have like different tools. I have a microphone. And, and I, I have a heart that wants to serve and help people as a pastor. And I'm able to get on this microphone on Sunday mornings and communicate God's word in a way I pray uh, people can receive that could be life-changing for them. That's my calling. Those are my tools. And maybe those aren't your tools. Don't envy me and I won't envy you. I'm just going to be okay with being me. I'm just going to stay in my lane and run this race that God has called me to be. And that is where true joy comes from. If you're an apple tree... Be happy with the apples that you're producing. Stop getting jealous because you want oranges. God didn't make you to be an orange tree. And all you're going to be is jealous and insecure until you finally embrace who God has called you to be. See, Esther was the only one who was able to go to the king. Mordecai couldn't do it. Mordecai knew his role. Mordecai's role was to equip and instruct Esther to go to the king. See, everybody has a role. Embrace your place. And then as Esther, with fierce faith, at one point probably thought she was just a Barbie doll. 
You're not just a Barbie doll. You're G.I. Barbie. <laughs> and Esther didn't even know the faith that she had inside of her. See, you don't know the faith that is inside of you until a crisis breaks out in your life. You don't know what you're capable of until you get that doctor's report that completely changes the course of your season. And then you realize, man, I, am a, I have fierce faith welling up inside of me. Faith is not for the good times. Faith is for the crisis. And Esther, she thought she was just a beauty queen. But then she realized, my gosh, God's the one that put this gifting in me. God's the one that gave me this talent, this, this beauty for such a time as this. And she said to uh, all of, uh, all of the, the Jewish uh, population in Persia at the time, she said, in three days, I'm going to go to the king. Three days. And if I die, I die. Look at that faith. Number four, fierce faith is patient. Fierce faith is patient. She waited three days. She didn't jump to something. Just because it was urgent doesn't mean you have to uh, forsake all counsel and just jump in. No, she took three days to pray. And then on the third day, there's Queen Esther walking into the king's palace, possibly getting her head chopped off. Walks in and there's Xerxes right there. Sees her and because of her faith and her beauty, says, Esther, baby, I've missed you so much. Get over here. Come see me, baby. They kiss. I don't know if this actually happened. It's the PI translation. Uh, the Bible leaves it open for our imagination, so that's what I'm using. And so, come on in, baby. So Esther comes on in, and, and Esther's there. Uh, by the way, why don't you read it for yourself and not just let the pastor read it for you? Because I've read this scripture, this whole story. Have you? So if I have and you haven't, just listen to what I have to say and lock it up. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love you all. And so... Uh, here, here she comes, and, and he says, what, what, what can I do for you? Give me whatever you want. I'll give you up to half the kingdom. And Esther says, what I want to do is I want to have a banquet for you. I want to make your favorite meal, lamb chops. King Xerxes loved lamb chops. How do I know that? Because I love lamb chops. Who wouldn't? And so she said, I'll make you a banquet hall for lamb chops tonight. So King, King Xerxes says, okay. And she says, I want Haman to be there. Remember Haman, the evil dude? I want the evil dude to be there. And so that night... There's a Queen Esther and Xerxes and Haman, and they're eating lamb chops, and they're, they're having a good old time. And then Xerxes says, Esther, what did you want to talk to me about? See, patience, patience. She says, let me do another banquet for you tomorrow night. Let me, let me let's do this again. I'll make your other favorite meal, tacos, beef tacos. Xerxes loves tacos. Any taco fans in the house? Love me some tacos. Taco Tuesday at the Friedel house. Back to it, babe. Let's get on that this year. <laughs> and so and, and so they go there the next night for tacos. Meanwhile, when they leave the first banquet, there's Haman. Haman's feeling himself. And then Haman sees Mordecai, the guy that offended him in the beginning, remember? And he is so infuriated that, that Mordecai is still alive that he goes home and instructs this whole plan to kill Mordecai the next day. So all night, there's Haman building this, this, this hanging gallow to hang Mordecai the next day. The next day, spends all night building it. While the king, meanwhile, is trying to sleep, he wakes up in the middle of the night and can't sleep. And, and rather than going and listen to, you know, one of Pastor Isaac's sermons, which could put anybody to sleep, um, hopefully not this morning. It's a tough crowd, I guess, out there today. <laughs> 
And, and so he, he gets the, the book of the kings. He can't sleep, so he opens up the Chronicles of the King. And the Chronicles of the King shares all the exploits of people. And he goes to this one story of Mordecai, who saved the king by foiling a plot that others had to assassinate King Xerxes years and years before. And the king says, has he ever been recognized for this? And the, the, the servants say, no, he's never been recognized for this. BT Dub, the things that you haven't been recognized for, the perfect timing will come. Don't get frustrated and don't get offended just because you haven't been publicly recognized for what you've been doing behind closed doors. I want you to know God sees it and in due season you will be exalted. Because now Mordecai's season was coming at God's perfect timing. And, and this was the timing for Mordecai to be uh, recognized. So the, the king can't sleep. He wants to recognize Mordecai. So he goes to his number two guy in charge, Haman. Says, Haman, what should I do to recognize Mordecai? And Haman, being narcissistic, thinks he's talking about him. Well, of course, you should take him around the whole kingdom on the king's horse and put the king's robe on his back and put the king's ring on his finger. And so King Xerxes says, that's a great idea, Haman. I want you to go do that for Mordecai the guy that you want to kill. And so now here's Haman. Haman, the next day, he's got to walk Mordecai around the entire kingdom on the king's horse with the king's robe around him, saying, this is the man, Mordecai, that the king wants to honor. And then that night at the banquet, there's Esther, Haman, and King Xerxes at the banquet. Finally, Xerxes says he's got taco sauce dripping out of the side of his mouth, says to Esther, what is it, baby? What did you want to tell me? And Esther says, there has been a, a crisis in my family. There's an evil man in your house that wants to murder all of my people and wants to murder me. Who is it, baby? You tell me who it is, and I'll wipe him out. And, and she says, this man, Haman, sitting right next to you is evil and wants to murder me and all my people. The king gets up in a rage. He's furious. How dare you try and hurt my baby? I love this woman. How dare you try and plot against her? I'll pick her over you any day of the week and twice on Sunday. And the king runs out in a bit of rage. He's in the garden. And then Haman is panicked. Ah, what am I going to do? King's going to kill me. So Haman, he falls on the lap of Esther to beg for mercy. Help me, Esther. Esther, help me. And as he has his face in Esther's lap, the king walks in, says, now you're trying to molest my wife. He takes him by the head, brings him outside, sees the gallows that Haman built to hang Mordecai on it, takes Haman by the head and hangs him on the gallows that were meant to kill Mordecai. And that brings me to my last point. Fierce faith produces unlikely victories. Because from that moment, it went from an edict that was supposed to annihilate all of the Jews. It went from a gallow that was supposed to string up Mordecai to completely changing. And now, as we read in Esther chapter 8, verse 15, the edict that was supposed to annihilate and commit genocide against the Jews ended up being changed by the king when he found out through Esther's fierce faith what was really going on. That that edict would go now to bless the Jews and raise them up in this foreign land. This is what it says, verse 15. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing a royal garment. He started off mourning in sackcloth. Now he has a royal garment around him. It says that it was white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. 
in every province and in every city in which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. Fierce faith, in the words of Isaiah, will give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and will give you a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. See, what is your faith going to do in a moment of crisis? When you respond correctly in God's perfect timing, you will see his perfect plan come through even the darkest of situations. You could just stand to your feet right now. I know that it's not easy, that these words are much easier said than walked out. Much easier read than able to be led in your life. Because life is real and crises are real. And one email, one report, one comment from somebody who you love that now they're speaking against you. Man, it could crush your spirit. But I, I, I want all of the women in here to know that there is a fierce faith inside of you. That there is something that it's in your DNA. It's who you are. You are fierce. And you only find out how fierce you are in the middle of a crisis. And that's when that, that, that voice inside of you that may, may try and speak, you're just a, you're just a single mom. You're just a blue-collar worker. You're just a, you're just a, you're just a. Your fierce faith has to rise up and say, I'm more than. I'm more than what other people see on the outside. I'm more than my past. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Let's just bow our heads. Father, we thank you that we are still here. Father, I pray for anyone who, who has a broken heart in their life right now. Pray for all, all, the, all the women in this church this morning, Lord God. I pray, Father, that they will know how beautiful they are inside and out. That you created them perfect. That you have a beautiful plan for them, Lord God. And nothing anybody else has done to them and nothing that they have even done can, can be able to take away what you have called them to be, Lord God. And I pray in the name of Jesus that healing will take place in their lives. Healing from everything that was said over their life everything that was done to them. I pray that healing will come from uh, the way that they were raised, something that, that, that happened when they were growing up does not define who they will be in their future, Lord God. That they are anointed, they are healed, that they are more than a conqueror, Lord God, that they are called to preach, that they are called to be able to lead, that they are called to be able to run businesses, that they are called to be able to shift culture, that they are called to be able to make the crooked places straight in this country. They are anointed, they are fierce, they are favored, Lord God. They are not second class, but they will be the leaders in this generation. I pray, Father, that fierce women will rise up in this church, Lord God, women with testimonies, women with a past, women with some brokenness. But when they take the brokenness and they put it in the hands of Jesus, all of a sudden, just like Esther, that fierce faith will rise up that says, I'm willing to risk it all for you, Lord God. I believe that I am who I am because of you, and I'm not going to allow anybody else to take or damage what you have put inside of me. 
The reason you have been under such attack is because you are so important to God. You must be important because of what you have been going through. You are important to God. Now is the time. This is the place. And you are the one for a time such as this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap if you would this morning.